Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. Okay, this is the uh, podcast for Multi-Faith Matters. I'm the host, John Moorhead. And uh, if you're Listening or watching this podcast, we appreciate that. This is just one of many resources that we have available. We have many past podcasts in various formats that you can take advantage of. We have recommended books and articles and services that we perform. And you can find all of that at the website at multifaithmatters.org. And I would encourage you to check that out as we try to be of service and to minister to evangelicals and other Christians in terms of not only fulfilling the Great Commission, but also the Great Commandments, to love God and to love our multi-faith neighbors as well. And sometimes that's not an easy process to find balance in, so we try to provide resources for you to do that. And uh, of course, uh, this uh, is a nonprofit organization, but that doesn't mean we don't need financial support. So uh, if you find this of, of value in your life and ministry, please consider supporting, and you can find our donate section at our website as well. Well, enough of that uh, preamble. Uh, I'm privileged to have as a guest Dr. Darren Dirksen, and I'm going to read his bio for you here. Uh, Darren is the director and assistant professor of intercultural studies at Fresno Pacific. Uh, is it university? Is that correct? Correct. His uh, scholarly interest is in the adaptation and contextualization of Christianity in multi-faith contexts, particularly in India. He also explores the intersection of development organizations and faith communities. His current research is on expressions and theologies of church in contexts where Christians are a minority community. Dr. Dirksen received an MD in Intercultural Studies from Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary in Fresno and a PhD in Intercultural Studies from Fuller Theological Seminary. A committed Anabaptist, he is an active member in the Mennonite Brethren Church. Darren, welcome to the, the podcast. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Well, let me just sketch a little background how you and I got to this point. Um, I'm originally from Northern California. I've been living in Salt Lake City, or the greater Salt Lake City area for going on 20 years now. But born and raised in Northern California, spent almost 20 years in Sacramento. And I was always intrigued by the large Sikh population. As I would drive around, I would always drive past uh, one of their temples. I know if you kept going north a little ways, you'd run into Yuba City. And they have a large concentration there. And at, at least at that point years ago, I heard that that was the largest community of Sikhs outside of Punjab, India. Whether or not that's correct, I don't know. Um, but I was always intrigued by that community and it was never able to make a connection, begin dialogue. So that interest has always been in the back of my mind. And then uh, a few years ago, I was at a conference on Islam Islamophobia and evangelicals. And uh, uh, a lot of folks follow my work. And one of my Hindu uh, colleagues contacted me and said, hey, what you're doing uh, with uh, Muslims and evangelicals, we would like to have a dialogue with Hindus. Mm -hmm. And so I began reaching out to some of my contacts how do I do this? What's the process? How do we move forward? Who are some people who have some background knowledge? And you are one of the folks that were recommended. And uh, we uh, exchanged some emails and uh, had a few conversations. So here we are. So what we're going to do today in this conversation is help evangelicals and other Christians 
understand a little bit about what Sikhs and Sikhism is all about. Uh, I think they're, they probably don't show up on the radar a whole lot. And when they do, they're probably confused for Muslims. And I'm sure that'll come out in our conversation. Um, but let's begin with your personal story. How did you come to uh, live amongst and develop an interest in, in terms of research and communication? What, what's your connection to the Sikh community? Yeah, well, it's probably like you in one way. I, I grew up here in Central California, so about three hours south of Sacramento in Fresno. And, um, and there was and there is a growing Punjabi and Sikh community here in the area. Now, growing up, I wasn't so aware of it. Our community was a little bit a ways away from some of the, the hubs of the Punjabi and Sikh community, probably saw them from time to time, but you know, my, my circles and, and I quite honestly, I was sort of in a Christian bubble growing up. So it wasn't until I got involved in international work of various sorts. And particularly um, I did mission work with our denomination, uh, with a, their organization. We were doing church formation, uh, development work in India. And I uh, lived in India, lived particularly up in the, the capital city of Delhi. And, uh, and there for the first time, of course, I'd heard of Sikhs before and had interacted with them, but um, there I really began to understand more about this community and then uh, actually started to get to know some of the uh, churches that were, that had people from Sikh backgrounds and would travel up to uh, the state of Punjab, which is kind of the Northwest of India, where it, Sikhism has its origins. And, um, and there I got to really see and understand the Sikh community more, got to know various people. Um, and so about 10 years ago, when I moved back to Fresno and started teaching here at Fresno Pacific University, uh, then my eyes were, I was a lot more sensitized to it, you know, and my eyes were open and I was much more interested in, in various religious communities anyways. And, uh, yeah. And then I really started to, uh, uh, dive into and get to know the Sikh community here and make some really good friends. And so, uh, so it's, it's been a journey in terms of learning about this community, because like you said, they're not always uh, here in the U.S. really prominently seen uh, unless you happen to be in a town or a city where there's, there's a good population who are, who are getting more and more open and, and, uh, and prominent in the community. Um, so now it was when I was in India and then particularly going to Punjab then too, that I connected into my, my PhD work. And, uh, and that was with people who were, uh, from Hindu and Sikh communities and they were attracted to Christ, but were not compelled to convert to Christianity. And so there's this, there's this kind of groups of people, not only among Sikh and Hindu communities, but of course, among Muslim, among Native American, Buddhist. Um, and, um, and so this sort of phenomenon, and I was intrigued by that, not as the, the end all be all way of, of going forward as, uh, you know, as followers of Christ, that they had to do it this way. But for these particular people, that they found a lot of meaning still in their Sikh and their Hindu beliefs and community and practices, um, and not that all of them were necessarily, uh, they would have to make choices and they would have to work it out what it meant to continue that if they're going to follow Christ, but not making such a strong distinction and converting out of 
those religious traditions, but finding ways of following Christ faithfully, um, reading the scripture, reading the Bible and prioritizing the Bible, but not necessarily trying to draw a hard line between them and their Hindu and Sikh families. So that was really intriguing to me as well, which uh, provided another avenue for me to learn about Sikhism and the ways in which there is actually a lot of connection between Sikhism, Hinduism, and, and, uh, and Christianity. So that, that kind of propelled me into that line of study as well. Yeah, I, I always like to ask, begin with that question, what's the story? Uh, we evangelicals are so focused on the theology and the doctrine and, and the study and that kind of thing, which is important, but uh, mm -hmm. I, I've come to the conclusion over the years that uh, our theologies are are also in part biographical. And so our, our personal journeys are important. So it's great to hear that experience that you had. I also resonate with what you mentioned there about the difficulty that some of those folks had in separating the, the, the beliefs in, in a new context. I think many times we evangelicals make too hard of a, a dividing line between religion and culture. It's not quite so, I, I think that's more of a modern religion construct than it is, you know, Something, something there. But let's talk a little bit about what Sikhs are, are all about. What does the term Sikh mean? And what are their practices and beliefs? Are they more oriented towards practices than beliefs? Help us sort this out. Yeah, it's a, it, it is very much a practice-oriented uh, religion. It's, it's a fairly new religion, 550 years old now. They're just celebrating mm. the uh, birthday of their founding guru, Guru Nanak. Um, and so, you know, relatively new in, in terms of, uh, you know, some of the larger world religions. Um, Sikh literally means, the, the word literally means uh, learner or disciple. It, it comes from kind of the, the older Sanskrit word uh, shishya, which is a disciple. And, uh, and so quite literally, it's simply to be a, a learner, to be a disciple. And of course, for them, it's a disciple of, uh, of the guru, of the founding guru and gurus. And so, uh, and, and the scriptures that they uh, left. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great word. I, I've had uh, conversations with even you know, followers of Christ who continue to call themselves Sikh. And, you know, Christians say, well, what, do you, what does that mean? They say, well, Sikh is just, I'm a disciple. I'm a learner. And I'm a disciple, learner of many people, primarily Jesus. Uh, but I'm still a learner. So I can call myself Sikh. Um, and, uh, yeah, so again, it's, it's a more recent, uh, religious community. They, um, are numerically small in terms of world population, world religions, uh, I think, and it's hard to quantify, but sure. some of the statistics out there of about 25 million globally, um, around 83% of those live in India and 76% live in this one state that I mentioned earlier called Punjab. And so, you know, obviously high concentration still in India and still particularly in that state. Outside of that, uh, probably the, the three large, well, the, the largest com population is probably in, um, in the UK and in Canada. And then here in the US, there's also a large population concentrated in various places, like you said, Sacramento and Yuba City. And then also here uh, in the Fresno Central Valley area uh, where Sikhs came here, I think originally about a hundred years ago to farm. 
And so I think their earliest Sikh temple was actually in Stockton, just between you. Between well, that's Stockton where I was born, Christ born now. and raised. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think just about a hundred years ago or so is the okay. first uh, Sikh Gurdwara, as they call it, or temple. So yeah, it, um, it, and it's the numbers in the U.S. have always been kind of uh, hard to verify. Some say it's somewhere between 500,000 and 700,000 Sikhs that live here in the U.S., uh, but that's because no census has ever been, yeah, there's been no real accurate way of counting. Now, interestingly, see, we'll get to this probably a little bit later, but Sikhs in the U.S. have become more and more active politically, legally, and so forth. And so one of their initiatives about two years ago was to really advocate for them to have a category on the U.S. census. So in the 2020 census, for the very first time, uh, there was a population category of Sikh. And uh, so from here on out, we'll probably have, yeah, exactly. So it, it uh, so for the first time, we'll, we'll have some more accurate numbers as far as that goes, but for them, it was more about, uh, Hey, we're, we're a growing minority community. We've been here for a while um, and, and we're growing, we're getting more active and, and we want to advocate for ourselves. And there are certain federal you know, benefits, uh, funding that they can, they can apply for, uh, for example, if they are more accurately represented. So things like that. So it's, it's this growing population, both in terms of number, but also in terms of their prominence and their activity on the U.S. Uh, in the U.S. scene. Well, what are some of their prominent, uh, what, what should we know about their practices and their beliefs? Yeah. So I think, um, some basic beliefs, I mean, um, I, I, first off, just kind of the, the, the core pieces are that, uh, again, there was this founding guru up in uh, mm -hmm. Northwest India. His name was Guru Nanak. And um, his teaching was quite new, and yet it was similar to Hinduism and also had some elements of Islam. Sikhs will be very quick to say, but we're not Hindu, we're not Muslim, and we're not just simply an amalgamation of the two. Mm -hmm. we, are a, we are a unique religious revelation and, and religion. Um, but you know, there's obviously some similarities, uh, you know, Sikhism believes in reincarnation. Um, they believe in one God. So kind of similar to Islam in one way. So, um, so there are some influences there. You could say, uh, then Guru Nanak handed his guruship over to the next, uh, which was not a family. It wasn't a family lineage. It was kind of somebody who he felt carried well, that he felt he was he was supposed to a sort of revealed thing, and that lineage went on for ten different gurus. So there's ten successive gurus, person after person. the The final guru, uh, Guru Gobind Singh, said, "After me, uh, will now there will no longer be any gurus after me. Instead, this scripture that he had compiled. So he had compiled the poems and songs of." himself and all the other preceding gurus and other gurus had, had done that as well. This scripture will now be your guru. And so they call their scripture, the guru, uh, the, and, uh, they, they are, they honor it to this day, almost like a living being. So that's one thing people really need to understand mm. about Sikhism. I mean, if there were ever a religion of the book, you know, Christians and evangelicals like to call ourselves, we're Christians of the book of the scripture. Well, yes, Sikhs definitely, almost in a literal sense, like their their scriptures are highly revealed. I was once given a portion of scripture 
uh, by a, uh, a gurdwara or a temple um, priest leader and uh and, and he he wrapped it very carefully in this nice cloth and he handed it to me very carefully he says now i will only give this to you if you promise that you will always keep it wrapped when you're not reading it and that you put it at the highest place mm. of your room you know because this is a this is the culture where height you know right, denotes right. honor right and so if you have it above that means it's sort of in a place of honor. <clears throat> you certainly would never put it on the ground. You certainly never put it on the on the floor, right? And uh, so that was just you know symbolic of how they revere the scripture. And of course, what's in the scripture too. It's not just the physical piece. Um, but yeah, and then there's it's it's a religion of practice, very much so. I mean, you ask Sikhs what they believe, they'll know the basics. We believe in one God. Uh, you know, we believe we should live good lives. They'll have a few things that they should say, but it's what you do, you know? So you, you go to the Gurdwara, uh, the, the temple, you pray, um, you, you do good service. That's a huge core of, of Sikhism. You, you serve others. And in so doing, you rid yourself of, of selfishness. And, um, you know, you... Um, yeah, you, you, you're hospitable, hospitable. Uh, these, these kinds of things, you know, um, very, very much a religion of, of practice and doing the right things. Ideally, of course, not everyone does, but there, there's the idea like there isn't any religion. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so those, those are a few basics, and of course, many more. I, well, let me say one more thing that uh, of the practice, there's five practices that, that make Sikhs distinctive. Um, so there are five things that they should do or wear, you know, so one is, uh, to, they keep long hair and, uh, and then they should cover that up in a turban. Um, and so the other is, uh, uh, that they would have a comb in their underneath the turban. And that denotes that they continually like keep their body. Well, you know, it's kind of symbolic. And so they are not supposed to use a scissors on any hair of their body. Now, of course, some Sikhs do, but they should have a long beard. They should have long hair. Um, you know, a special pair kind of pants that they wear that kind of denotes their, their, uh, commitment to purity, to a pure life. Um, there's the bangle that many people will see, mm -hmm. and that can have different representations of power or, um, just representing, reminding themselves of who they are. And then some will wear a sword. Now, not legally now, not usually a real right. long sword, but maybe even just a little, pendant that they'll keep around their neck you know school kids going to school might just have a small little pendant or or something and the sword was yeah originally sort of a a military thing that was given to them to carry but it also uh, has come to symbol symbolize many other things in terms of power uh, that they empower others these kinds of things but these there's five these five things are really important to Sikhs and so we we'll often see you know, Sikhs uh, wearing those as ways of expressing their faith. Yeah, that's helpful. I think uh, a lot of Christians would have questions about the turban. In fact, I think I saw uh, not too long ago uh, a news item that came across that a police officer who was Sikh had uh, won the legal right to wear the turban on the job. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, these seemingly obscure elements of religion are in the culture. They're in our pop culture and they surface constantly. So these are things we need to be aware of. You know, we could talk about the beliefs and practices of any religion, but there's still the question is, what is what is the essence of it to be a lived religion? 
Um, you talked about doing good deeds. What is the essence of a Sikh being a Sikh? What are they trying to accomplish as they live their life on a daily basis? Yeah. So, um, and again, if you ask a Sikh, ask 10 different Sikhs, you'll probably get 10 <laughs> different answers in, in a way, right? I mean, there's, right. there's the orthodox answers too. Right. And that I, can, I can point to those um, in one way. And, and these, I, I, I just love these. I think they're, they're really beautiful concepts. Uh, they, they would say that the problem, you know, if, if a religion, if every religion in a sense is addressing a problem, that'd be a simple way of saying mm -hmm. it, but in a sense, sure. um, for, for Sikhs, it would be something called uh, Haumai. Haumai is self-centeredness. And, and self-centeredness, it would be sort of similar to a Christian concept of sin. Um, and, and we're all prone to it. You're not necessarily born with it, but you're prone to it. We're, we're highly vulnerable. We all fall into it. And so we um, are, are self-centered and that keeps us from obeying God. And it keeps us in a state of what they call manmuk. Manmuk is, is literally facing the self. And, uh, and then from there, there's the concept of reincarnation. So that there are, when you die, you come back in, a, in another life. And, um, and there's progressive lives and kind of states that you could come in. Now, they're not quite as prescribed as, as Hinduism. Hinduism has a very prescribed sense of caste and things like that. But um, so it's not quite like that. But there's still this sense of you just keep coming back until you can break the manmuk. You can break this, this selfish, self-centering kind of thing. And then you can be released in the next life to commune with God, kind of a heaven type of thing. And, and Sikhism doesn't have a really highly defined sense of what that is. Hmm. Um, for them, it's not so, uh, you, they're not going around talking about we, when I die, I want to get to heaven. It's, it's yeah, that's sort of an end goal. But it's more about just bettering our lives and, and living out the way the guru and the way God wants us to live now. So we break manmuk and we do that by the, the opposite. The ideal is what they call nimrata, which is humility. And, uh, and, and if you are able to continually practice humility, it breaks you free from facing the self. And so you do that by, by instead of manmuk facing the self, you, you do gurmuk. You face the guru and you, uh, you, and the guru is your window to God. So it could be, guru has a couple different meanings. It could be like the literal, one of the literal gurus who, who used to live and they, they understand is still kind of available to us spiritually in a sense, but, but that is a window into the divine, into, into God himself. They, they represent God. So you face the guru. Um, and, uh, and then, and then the other piece is not only what you, you face the guru, which is sort of this kind of, you know, spiritual focus, but then you're also doing what they call seva, which is service. And that's the literal, just helping others, uh, selfless service. And out of that flows various practices. I mean, the one that I love because I love Indian food mm -hmm. is a practice <laughs> called langar. And uh, so if ever you go to a Sikh temple in the U.S., they usually do this on Sundays, kind of aligning with sort of the, the Christian, you know, Sunday practice of the day off. Um, they, they'll, they'll have a service. And then after the service, they serve a lunch. And they call that a langar. And uh, in, in, in India, in the larger Gurdwaras, they have, they have langar available all the time every day of the week, every hour. So the idea is that theoretically, theoretically a traveler 
traveling along could see a Gudwara and know that's a place where I could rest, maybe even sleep for the night and always get a meal. And it's always open. And, uh, and so you can, you can get that hospitality and Sikhs will pride themselves on that. We will, we will serve you. And, uh, they do. I mean, it's just amazing <laughs> food and amazing hospitality. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful concept as far as that goes, just this desire to serve others in a selfless way that breaks us free from that trap. Now, again, they tie it into reincarnation, which as an evangelical, I don't, I don't go there, but there's so much of that I can still really resonate with and, uh, and appreciate that, that connects with my own evangelical Christian faith. Yeah, nothing wrong with finding things that we can appreciate in other religious traditions. That's something that we, right. we value here at Multi-Faith Matters. Um, I'm reminded of uh, some of the tragedy that has uh, been around the Sikh community uh, after 9-11. There were instances where Sikhs were mistaken for Muslims and were the victims of violent crime and retribution because of the anger of 9-11. Um, and then it was, I think, just a few years ago that there was a shooter who went into a Gurdwara and shot up a, a, a Sikh temple uh, for various uh, racist and prejudicial reasons. Um, those are some extreme forms of, of stereotype and misunderstanding. Uh, what else are some common stereotypes or, or misunderstandings that we need to, to dispel so that we can have a better understanding of our Sikh neighbors? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's certainly one of the big ones, you know, yeah. is, that, is that conflation of, of Sikhism and Islam. And that, yeah, even right here in our area, one of the first um, violent acts right after 9-11 was a, a Sikh uh, shop owner, gas station, mini mart owner who got shot because he was mistaken for a, for a Muslim. And it, it continues to happen. There was another one up in Stockton area, I think just last year. So yeah, like you say, and, and so the Sikh community kind of responded. It was interesting. Their initial response was, you know, for a few years was to try and educate the public on what Sikhism is. And that was a, that was an important, um, an important initiative um, and, and, it, and it was motivated out of, hey, let's, let's try to help people understand. But it was interesting too, like they, they didn't challenge, initially they weren't so much challenging the violence against Muslims as much as just saying, hey, we're not them. Right, right. Now in more recent years, they've gotten more, um, they, they've, they've expanded their message. And so they're really speaking out against violence against any minoritized community, right? Including C. So they continue to want to educate the, the, the larger community about who they are. Uh, but it's not just so that they're not targets. It's to, it's to help people understand and then to speak out against all violence. So that's, it's been interesting to watch that sort of evolution. Um, in terms of other mis uh, mis um, misunderstandings about Sikhism, yeah, I mean, people know so little about it that it just tends to be kind of like, I, yeah, maybe it's Islam or maybe it's Hinduism. I think that's some people who are closer to the uh, Hindu community and to India culture maybe conflate it with Hinduism, and um, and 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 Hindus sometimes don't help that. They'll sometimes say, "Oh yeah, Sikhism." It's kind of like almost like a denomination of, of Hinduism because of the, there are some similarities. Sikhs will say, no, 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 no. We are, we are distinct. We're very, we're very different. Um, so, you know, it is its own distinct, they would want to say it's its own distinct religion um, and, and practices and, and community. 
Um, you know, obviously the other thing I think, again, for some people who know them and again, maybe conflate it with, with Islam is that it's this violent religion. Um, and if they know about the sword or something like that, you know, there's maybe these sort of connotations. And once again, Sikhs would want to say we're, you know, that's not an, uh, anything to do with our essence at all. Yeah. There's, there are these times in our history where we had to stand up for ourselves and, you know, in India and so forth. But, um, you know, our, our gurus did not preach violence, you know, is this selfless service kind of ethos that is really our core. So, um, yeah, but I think, again, it's, it's, it's more about not that there are often specific misunderstandings, it's just no understanding of who right, they are. Yeah. I think is where evangelicals are often struggling. Yeah, unfortunately, well, hopefully conversations like this uh, I think you need to crank out another book or two and uh, <laughs> get something going on there. You know, when a, a person from a religious community comes from overseas and they, they become a part of the fabric of America, um, over time, sometimes they take on, you know, a different flavor. Uh, is there any discernible difference between, uh, in your experience, your, your encounter with Sikhs in India versus uh, how the American Sikh population might have uh, taken on something a little different over time in this culture? Yeah, I, I think from my, from my experience, um, the younger generation Sikhs here, you know, I, I think some of what the Sikh community uh, has exhibited is, would be similar to other uh, immigrant communities over time. You know, so at first you kind of have the first generation that keeps quite to themselves. They kind of establish their own religious community centers. Um, and then over time with subsequent generations, you get... Uh, you get new expressions that try to understand what it means to be that community in the U.S. And so similarly with Sikhism, you know, the younger generation, uh, interestingly, I, I find uh, two, two trajectories. Number one is kind of the secularized uh, Sikh American who, you know, is kind of barely holding on to mm. their, to their, 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 their Sikh uh, beliefs and community. They'll, they'll go to Gudwara, they'll do the practices, but it's really not a real core piece of who they are. Um, and then the other trajectory, interestingly enough, is this uh, whole community of young people who are re-embracing and sometimes even critiquing their own parents for not, for, for just sort of holding on to practices and not really uh, expressing those within the wider community. And so they're redefining what it means to be Sikh in some ways saying, you know, uh, we need to serve, but not just serve ourselves. Uh, we really need to serve this US community and our local community when it comes to social justice, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, various other issues. And so really getting quite involved Legally, you got a whole number of organizations now that are popping up, uh, you know, the Sikh American Legal Defense and Education Fund is a prominent one. We were just partnering with them, had a speaker from their group come to our university recently. Uh, the Sikh Coalition is another one. Um, and then and another one yet called the Jakara Movement. And they have, they have these retreats. You go on their website, it almost looks like a Christian revival Christian youth meeting, you know, I mean, it's the, you know, the, the website and the stuff hmm. they're doing. Um, and it's all geared at, at, at helping young people uh, see that Sikhism is relevant to uh, an American culture. In fact, it's, 
it's huge. It's hugely important for Americans, uh, for American culture to counter some of the, the injustice, some of the selfishness, some of the commercialism. And so they, you know, they, there's kind of this prophetic edge, if you will, almost of, of Sikhism that's coming out in this, this newer generation, which I find really intriguing. So yeah, there's, there's some, it's always fascinating to kind of watch the ways in which these, these things, uh, shift and change according to their cultural context. Yeah, it's my hope that through these kinds of podcast conversations that evangelicals not only gain some new information, but that it becomes practical. And uh, if we have some listeners or viewers who maybe know some Sikhs or have some, uh, they live next to a Sikh community, they want to have some conversations and relationships. Um, what can you say to help make that conversation more fruitful? You know, I think we evangelicals tend to think of our own faith just in terms of how we might have received it in church or maybe reading uh, some of our favorite uh, pastors or theologians or books on systematic theology. But as you know, with a background in intercultural studies, um, it, it takes a little bit more to connect the essence of what our faith is about to somebody in another religion and culture. So help us build some bridges here. What are some points of connection where we can make our faith more understandable to Sikhs and we can in turn, hopefully understand more about where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would first say it, it all builds around you, you, you get this, John, and so many of your podcasts have, have expressed this. It, it, it's all about relationship first off. Right. Um, and, and so I would say, you know, in terms of just a uh, sort of a, a stepwise kind of focus, you know, that there are these steps to, um, to, to begin with. And one is just relationships. So finding ways to connect with people um, and, and Sikhs is, is a hugely important thing. Um, I, I, I've got friends who, you know, they, they've got neighbors, Sikh neighbors, and, and they kind of struggle with, oh, they don't want to come over to my house. And well, yeah, it's, there's some different cultural values. But if you go to their Gurdwara, you know, if you just pay attention, okay, when's the next festival? And they'll often post those on websites or something like that. If, if you've got a community around you, um, that's a great place to start. And, uh, or, you know, go to, go to somebody, you know, and say, Hey, what, I'd love to visit your, your good water. Do you ever go, you know, is there a festival coming up? I'd love to visit. And Sikh person's never going to say no to that. You know? So, um, so that's, you know, so that's the beginning, right. Is, is relationships. And then from there, like what I've, I've done is a couple of things. Number one is take an interest in their scriptures because that's huge, right? So a lot of their prayers that a lot of Sikhs, if they're somewhat observant, um, they also pray every day or they're supposed to. And those prayers come out of their scriptures. So they, it's not that they're sitting down doing Bible studies or scripture studies like evangelicals value. Um, some do, but, uh, but they will at least know prayers. And so, you know, well, what's your favorite prayer? Can you share that with me? And I found that that's a great, you know, I'll sit down at Starbucks with a friend and and they'll say, hey, just share with me what's a prayer that's kind of interesting to you or helpful. And, uh, and it's just fun to see where that goes. And then that's an avenue for me to just say, you know, oh, that reminds me of a scripture from, from the Christian scriptures, from the Bible. And then I could share that. I don't, I don't go into a long exegetical explanation, but it's just these small points of contact to kind of say, hey, let me learn from you. And and then, and, and then that gives me an avenue to, to learn from them. I mean, I tell my students all the time, it's like, if, if we want people to respect and to listen to us and what we have to say, we have to begin by respecting and wanting to learn 
what they say, what mm-hmm. they believe, what they value. You know, I mean, why, why would it be any different? It's got to be mutual. So we begin with just wanting to learn from them. Their scriptures are a great place. Um, I'd say another place is, is just praying for them. I mean, not out loud in front of them, but just tell them, hey, I, I, I'm, you know, they'll share something that's going on. Well, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for your kid who's sick or I'll pray for, uh, you know, them to get good grades. Education is often a big thing, you know, or whatever. And, and, um, and they love that. Or, or ask, can I pray for them? And they'll, they'll never reject that. And then what I'll do is, you know, when I continue to follow up with them, if there seems to be sort of a good resolution to that situation, I'll just kind of mildly take credit for it. Not in, not in a major way, but just say, oh, that's great. Yeah, I was praying for that. You know, maybe God was helping you in some sort of way. You know, just simple like that. Just kind of putting these little pieces in there to just kind of make the connection that I do believe, as they do, that God is active and relevant in our in our lives. You know, it's not this disconnected reality. And so these small ways that, that just open up further bridges um, for, for conversation, they're, they're very open to Jesus and talking about Jesus. Um, now they don't, their scriptures don't talk about Jesus. They, you know, they wouldn't call Jesus Christ or understand him in the way evangelicals do, but no problem in saying, you know, Jesus is, is my guru. You know, now gurus are understood differently, but you can begin with that language. That's totally fine. Jesus is like my guru too, you know, and and he said this, and I really value that. And I worship and pray to him every day. That's language that they fully resonate with and not put up, doesn't put them off whatsoever. In fact, it opens up some great conversations. I appreciate that. I appreciate a lot about what you said with respect and mutuality. And just so folks are clear and where we're coming from, when we talk about building bridges and having these conversations, we mean that we value people in and of themselves in those relationships. Yeah. We're not talking about bait and switch where, you know, we'll just use this friendship evangelism thing. Uh, for us as evangelicals, evangelism is important. And we believe uh, in, we like to share Christ wherever we can, but that's not all we're about. And we, we right. value those relationships and conversations. Any, anything you would add to that part there? Yeah, no, that's great. Exactly. I, I um, yeah, when I, and when I say that, it's not to say that we, um, we, we only value and respect them so that we have the opportunity to share our own, you know, and, and when I talk about these, these kind of subtle ways of kind of bringing things in, it's not as, it's not kind of an evangelism explosion. I'm going to find these little, you know, <laughs> places to kind of insert my, my beliefs. It's, it's, it's realizing that so many other cultures come from a worldview that says these things are all integrated. You know, we don't have this distinctive religious framework and, and other framework. These things flow together. And so we need to be deliberate as well, not in a manipulative way of saying, yeah, God's involved in my life too and helping me and he's helping you. And so we bring this language in, not as a way of manipulating the conversation around to talk about Jesus and evangelize them, but to say, yeah, we acknowledge God's a part of our reality and let's, let's share in that. Well, I appreciate all of this as our conversation draws to a close. Any, anything you can think of that's uh, would be very important for evangelicals to, to hear about Sikhs, anything come to mind? I would say one more thing is that um, I, I found in, it's interesting in some of my friendships, and this could just be some of my friendships with Sikhs, but um, I, I, I wonder if it's not a little bit more broadly understood or thought of that, that here in the U.S., because 
perhaps they're a minority community. I think there's, there's this desire to really um, connect with others. And so when I have spiritual conversations with Sikhs, uh, they want to really say, oh, yeah, and we believe the same. You and me, we really believe the same thing, you know, uh, and it, partly sort of a Hinduism, Sikhism inclusive thing. I don't know always why they say that. I think they're just really wanting to be, to really connect with, with us. And I think part of their theology says that ultimately all these things are going to sort of gradually move towards each other. But I would say to evangelicals, don't be don't be put out, don't be triggered by that, to use that language. Um, you know, just, you don't have to forcefully agree or disagree. Just simply, oh, yeah, we, you know, there's so much that we, we share, you know, and let the distinctives come out gradually. Yes, we have distinctives, but I, I used to feel like, oh, I need to really, you know, I need to, I need to correct that statement, you know, right there. It's like, well, right. no, we don't, you know, yeah, I believe in Christ in a much different way than you do. I don't feel like I have to do that now. I'm going to let the distinctives come out organically, relationally. I, and, and we can have those conversations about distinctives. So I, you know, if, if, and when you hear those kinds of statements, yeah, that, that's been part of my journey. I don't feel like I have to just combat those right away. I appreciate that. That's uh, words of wisdom from somebody who's been there and I could share similar thoughts too, but that's everybody's got to take their own journey and, and learn uh, the best way. So hopefully we can benefit from yours. Uh, Darren uh, Dirksen, thank you so much uh, for being a guest on the podcast today. It's been wonderful. Thank you. It's great, John. Appreciate your work and uh, appreciate the opportunity to share. Again, our guest has been Darren Dirksen. He's uh, director and assistant professor of intercultural studies at Fresno Pacific University. And uh, we'll have uh, include a link uh, to his institution and to his page uh, in the program notes that go with this, and you can seek out his work. I would encourage you to do so. And of course, if you're in the greater Fresno area, why not sign up and uh, benefit from some of his courses? And of course, you can find additional resources, as I mentioned at the beginning of our program, at our website at multifaithmatters.org. Thank you so much for either listening or watching this podcast, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode.